Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour. This is a podcast that I bring to you each week, hopefully, where I sit down and just talk with another girlfriend. You never know what we're going to talk about, but it's always going to be interesting. I can promise you that. Um, Today, my guest is my friend Amber Rose Zimmel, and she is a mom, a wife, an adoptive mom. She is one of my favorite people to talk to about parenting because she just is like a wealth of gold. And so today we talk about her journey to parenting. We also talk about talking to our kids about the big S word, sex. Uh, Talk about what we're reading and talk about teenage girls and women and all kinds of stuff. You're really, really going to like it. So grab a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, glass of wine, whatever you need, fold some laundry, drive to work, whatever you're doing. I hope you enjoy um, this next hour of the happy hour. I want to say thank you real quick to um, Sarah Adams left a comment on the blog saying she really liked the podcast that we did last week with Deborah, And so I love that so much. I love everything Deborah's doing. Wynn left a comment on the on my blog that said, I love your podcast and it helps me to feel connected in a disconnected mommy world. Girl, we are all connected in this mommy world. I love that so much. You can feel connected. Okay. I have a Twitter for happy hour. So I'd love it if you went and followed me. It is at happy underscore hour underscore pod. That seems like the lamest Twitter name ever, but can you ever try to find a Twitter name with happy hour in it? Everyone has it taken. Anyhow, follow me. I'd love to see you on Twitter. Also, I'd love to see you over on iTunes to subscribe or via Stitcher, subscribe, any way that we can stay connected. Thanks a lot. I hope that your day today is awesome, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with my friend Amber Rose. Amber Rose, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you too. And I can see your face because I haven't seen you in a long time. Amber Rose and I are are real life friends, which means that we live in the same city and go to the same church and do not as much life together anymore, but there've been seasons where we have. So it's good to see you. Good to see you too. Yay. Okay. Tell everybody that's listening just a few sentences about who you are. Okay. Um, I live in Austin. Like Jamie said, I'm married and my husband and I have five children who range in age from four to 14. And we attend the Austin Stone Community Church where we um, do our best to serve the body there and live on mission in our city. That's awesome. Okay. So you just said something that I actually thought about Last night, I was up in the middle of the night. I don't know why. I couldn't sleep last night. I was literally awake from like 1 until 2.30. And whenever that happens to you, isn't it the worst feeling in the world? Because you're like, I know what's going to happen. The alarm still goes off. Like, everything still happens. And my kids are back in school already. And so we're already in like go mode at 6 a.m. So anyhow, but I was thinking about you in the middle of the night because I knew we were going to chat today. And I was thinking about the range of your kids is that you have five kids, but they're spread out over 10 years. 
Yes. So we have some other mutual friends, the Garzas, who also have four kids. Well, we have five, but they have four kids and they're like every four years. So they have this like wide range of kids. Uh And I feel like you kind of do too. So you're parenting a teenage boy. Yes. And a four-year-old boy. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. How does your mind even go between teenage boy problems to four-year-old boy problems? Yeah, it's uh, a challenge sometimes. And I think even in the last year, that has been more of a reality set in just the, the broad age difference. Like you said, it was a little bit easier, like when everybody was kind of in grade school right. together, but I've got one going into high school this year Shut up. and He's one in be pre-K. Ninth grade? He's going to be in ninth grade this fall. It's crazy. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. I mean, doesn't ninth grade feel like it wasn't that long ago for yeah. us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was something happened the other day and I was like, Oh, I remember when I was in that grade, you know, and whatever, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm 36 years old. Like ninth grade was a long time ago. <laughs> Kind of. But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, high school, you have lots of clear memories of it and you kind of, you have a a better sense of what you were thinking and the person that you were, or at least were trying to be. Um, so yeah, it's been, um, it's been, I would say something that's kept us mentally on our toes to try to be in both those worlds. Yeah. Do you think I have some more girlfriends in my life who are actually parenting, um, kids older than than your oldest. So they're in like their, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19. And they have said to me, parenting these kids is way harder than when they were younger. You know, I think when they're younger, you're like exhausted and they're needy and they're whining. But as they get older, parenting them changes. Yeah. Like what's the biggest difference between parenting a 14 year old boy and a four year old boy? I would say, um, it, it seems like things got a lot more complex. <laughs> it it seems, I, I know, I mean, and you know, when we're in the baby and toddler and preschool phase, the days are so long and it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but you just keep telling yourself someday they'll be older and it will be easier. And I think in some ways that's true. Like maybe physically it's easier, right. but it just becomes mentally and emotionally and spiritually much more complex. And, and I would say even like exhausting on a different level because you're constantly having to think three steps ahead of everything. Yeah. It's like the stakes are higher almost. It's like we're parent, we're parenting. And I don't know, my oldest is 10, but like we're parenting these younger kids and we're trying to teach them, you know, obedience and, you know, respect and everything. But then they're 14 and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is real life. Yeah, totally. Totally. It has really, um, made me just have several moments of being so awe filled and thankful for parents, like the parents that have gone before me, friends, Mm -hmm. for my parents, for my husband's parents. And I I think I have a lot more grace. (laughs) Right. I say all the time that I, I respect, like you just said, I respect my parents way more now. Because I feel like, oh, they did this same thing with me. Like, they went through this with me. Yeah, for you, sure. You forget that. You just remember, like, the fights that you had with your parents in high school. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and it also makes me think, like, my parents loved, they love me as much as I love my kids. Yeah. You know? It's really good. Yeah. Um, so how old are all your other kids? Tell everybody. Okay. So my 14-year-old is a boy. Then I have a 10-year-old boy and an 8-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. And so just to like get the, the, you know, everyone's thinking 14 Mm -hmm. to 10. Mm -hmm. So explain how you have a 14 year old and then four years before a 10 year old. Okay. So I was actually a teen mom with my oldest. Um, my husband, my now husband and I, uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time in high school. And, um, I went away to college and found out a couple of weeks after I got there that I was pregnant. Wow. And Talk about like freshman 15. You put on like <laughs> freshman more than 50. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 50 or 60. Yeah. Okay. So um, get to college and find out you're pregnant. Yeah. So I was at the college of my dreams. I had, I think probably from the moment I stepped into high school, planned to go to this college and had kind of ordered my life in such a way that that would happen. And I found out I was pregnant when I got there. And, um, to make matters more complicated, my boyfriend and I were not, I would say in even a serious high school relationship. We were not the kind of high school couple that talked about getting married someday or even being in love. It was just much more surface than that. Um, so anyway, um, we, let's see, it, it was just such a long road, but it kind of evolved. I, um, at first just freaked out and of course couldn't imagine that I had anything, um, you know, just worthwhile to put on the table for this child. I really just, um, it, it wasn't, I think at first it wasn't that I didn't want him. It was just more that I didn't see anything that any resources that I had that would be valuable. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I had to kind of, that was an, an evolutionary process in and of itself, just to get to the point where I started considering that maybe I could parent him. Right. Um, I eventually did get to that point where I felt like maybe being a single mom might be a possibility for me. Um, so all along in this, when you're doing this journey of figuring that out, does Adam, does he mm -hmm. know about that you're pregnant and everything? Yeah, I, I told him pretty soon after I found out, um, he was, we were living in different States. He was younger than me. So he was still in high school. Um, and he was, um, I think it, I think it just hadn't really sunk into him. I think part of it was probably that our brains were not fully developed. You know, that if you look at true. <laughs> right. yes. child development, like we just were still in that stage yeah. of not really believing future things uh-huh. that we know are going to happen really will happen. Right. Um, so I think he was probably in a little bit of denial for a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it really set in for him for a while. And, and my, I mean, honestly, just my first, gut reaction. And I think, um, his as well was that abortion was our only choice. So it wasn't even like thinking that it it was more of thinking how we would get to that place rather than what are all the options. Yeah. Yeah. Did that come from parents or just your community or where did that just that come from? I, I am certain that it didn't come from my parents or I don't think any community. I, I can't think of anyone that I was close to at that point that I knew of who had had an abortion or anything that would have really influenced me, except that I was really scared. And I really, I kind of didn't see any other option. I think it took really, um, God specifically putting a couple of people in my life that just said really simple sentences like, Hey, I think that there's a different road for you. Mm -hmm. 
that I just really needed to hear someone say that. Yeah, that's really good. And, um, you know, I always, I often wonder, I've, I've blogged about this before and I think I've spoken publicly about this another time, but I was pregnant in college. Mm -hmm. Um, and for, and I often look back and wonder abortion never entered my mind, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I often wonder like, what is the difference there? Like, why did that never even occur to me that that could be an option? Um, it, it, it just never even occurred to me and, you know, and you know, we've adopted our son, uh, we've adopted some three of our kids, but our son domestically Deacon, when I met his birth mom after he was born and we have a great relationship with her now, but I asked her because she didn't find out. So I asked her, did you ever think about abortion? And I'll never forget. It was like this surreal moment because I was holding our son, I mean, she had birthed him. She, mm-hmm. She's much his mom, you know, and I'm holding yeah. him and I've adopted him. And, and I asked her this really hard question. Did you ever consider adoption? I mean, abortion as I'm holding him. And she said, I did, but it was too late. And oh, I'll wow. never, I'll never forget like the gravity of like feeling that weight of like, this is him right here. Like this is the outcome of that. And that possibility yeah. was there. And so I just always find it interesting how you just felt like that's what you would do, you know, yeah. and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a hard thing and it never entered my mind and she would have, but it was too late. I mean, it's just interesting to see where those thoughts come from and why they're in our minds and then how God moves our paths. Yeah. Regardless, regardless of the thoughts. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, so would you say that you were a Christian at the time? No, I would not. Okay. Okay. That could be another interesting factor. I was just curious. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I love that. So here's another question I have for you. This is interesting for, you know, people that start their families in different ways and you and Adam, you know, y'all are believers and go to church and you raise your your kids that way and love Jesus. How does that affect like your parenting of Mm -hmm. your oldest son and not parenting so much, but like, have y'all had this conversation? And here's why I ask is like one time my kids asked, if I'd ever kissed a guy other than their dad. And I, I, dread, <laughs> these, not, right? I dread these conversations. <laughs> like the day that I have to tell my kids all of the just like horrible stuff that I did. It's not that I'm embarrassed about it so much. I don't know. Maybe I, surely I'm not embarrassed about it. It's just, I don't want my, you, you want your kids to like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but you want them to do better maybe, or you don't want them to think less of you. I don't know what it is. I dread those conversations and yeah. because they're awkward. But they said, have you kissed another guy besides daddy? And I was like, oh my gosh, I hate this so much. Cause I kept worrying that it was going to go further and further. Yeah. And I said, yes, I have. And they said, well, what was his name or something? And then the conversation dropped and I was like, praise the Lord. And then the conversation came back and I was like, I don't remember their names. And Kaden was like, their names, you kiss more people. And I was like, oh, it's just, it's just a, those are hard conversations to have with your kids. Yes. So have, how has this looked for you and Adam in preparing your kids to make healthy choices with their sexuality and all that kind of stuff that all of us parents wants to do, but you just started this journey a little bit different than maybe Aaron and I did. Yeah. Um, I think from the very beginning with our oldest, we were really intentional about kind of telling him his story. And we always, um, punctuated the fact that we were not walking with God, that we were not following Jesus. And that, um, made it, we felt like made it easier to understand the choices that we were making, at least maybe in his mind, it would make it easier for him to understand those choices. Um, but sometimes I, 
in hindsight, I wondered if that's, you know, maybe if, if not that, not that we shouldn't have done it that way, but you know, just that we also should have left room for making bad choices as believers too, because I don't want my kids to feel like to make a bad choice, you know, doesn't mean that, um, that they're saved if they are, or the vice versa, making good choices Mm -hmm. and being a good kid Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're saved if they, if they're not. Um, so I, I would say that, but I, I would also say that, um, I've noticed that we have been less intentional with our younger kids who their, the context of their birth was in a family, you know, and so they have kind of a different story. And, and Adam and I were just talking the other day about how, um, it had come up that, you know, that we weren't married when our first son was born. And that was a surprise to one of our kids. And we just looked at each other like, Oh my gosh, we forgot to tell them. Right. How could we have forgotten that? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So many kids, like you can see the switches when they come on in their heads. Like, wait, it doesn't add up. You know, yes. like we were just visiting with Aaron's family and, um, Aaron's brother and his wife have two girls, beautiful girls. Um, and my sister-in-law was pregnant as a teen and had her daughter. And then they haven't, so they haven't been married as old as the daughter is. And this is the first time that you saw Caden go, wait, like, <laughs> how did this happen? You know? And so it was a good learning. You know, we talk yeah. about this all the time, but we talk about that with deacons had the same thing. Like, well, how did she have me if she wasn't married? You know? And it just brings yeah. on all kinds of conversations of like, you can have sex without being married. You know, right. I think kids just don't know that, but it is good to, you know, we talk a lot about like, this isn't the way that God's perfect plan was, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't how he thought that it was all going to go, you know, and it doesn't make anything less or anything not enough or anything bad. It just means we make choices and this is what comes out of it. It's such good learning. Yeah, I agree. Oh, but so your youngest is four and what's the next one up? Matea's how old? Six. Six. So do y'all do talked about sex early on? Yeah, we, we do we too. Do. We try to, um, we try to start those talks pretty early and make it, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say a frequent thing, but at least a regular thing. Yeah. So it doesn't feel as weird and taboo yeah. as it might otherwise. We do too. Now tell me this. A lot of my friends think it's weird that we have talked this early with our kids about sex, but they're going to hear about it. And I'd rather them hear about it from us. Right. But tell me this, because this is something we had to figure out as well. I assumed that I would talk to Story mm-hmm. and that Aaron would talk to the boys. And mm. that's just how I thought, that's just how it goes. A dad talks to their son and a mom talks to their daughter. <laughs> well, sure enough, Aaron travels a lot. And these questions started happening all oh, the yeah. time when he was out of town. Like bedtime is when they start, just the questions start rolling. And finally, I just decided... Well, heck, I got to do this too. And so do you have these conversations with your boys? I do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Us too. I do. Even with, even with my oldest, with my 14, I would say they're not very welcomed now. Even, I mean, they were never super welcomed right. from my boys, but even now I sometimes will initiate conversations like that. And I'll just, I usually will start with something like, Hey, I want you to know that this is not embarrassing for me oh, and that's that good you could ask me any question. I wouldn't be surprised by it. And he just starts like visibly shrinking in his seat. And he's like, mom, I'm embarrassed enough for both of us. So, (laughs) but it's so good just to keep doing it. You know, I I hope so. (laughs) I think it's good. I affirm you, Amber Rose. I affirm this, that you just got to keep on pressing forward with the kids. Cause it's, it's embarrassing for 
It is. Yeah. But, but I mean, like you, I think you're probably thinking the same thing. I want to push through that embarrassment because I do feel a little bit of it, but I want to push through it because it really shouldn't be embarrassing to talk about. And yeah. like you said, they're going to hear it from someone and I want them to know that mom and dad are trustworthy and that we'll give you answers mm-hmm. and we'll give you the right answers because yeah. you know that those kids that they're going to school with aren't going to give them no trust with the answers. They're going to give them the answers that they heard from their older brother. That right. is not right. Right. Oh my yeah. gosh. So crazy. Yeah. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom.
From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. Um, okay, so Ambrose, five kids, which mm-hmm. when I hear five kids, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of kids. It's really only one more than I have. Yeah, it's almost the same. <laughs> so tell me this. So for me, going from two to three was the hardest for me because yeah. I went from, I had a a five-year-old and a four-year-old and brought home a two-year-old. So that was yeah. kind of different. Um, what was the hardest going from what number to ne- next was the hardest? Um, let me think. I I think probably for me, it was going from one to two. Okay. Um, because it just, children felt like more of a lifestyle choice at that point, rather than kind of an accessory to what we were doing. We were able to pretty well go along with our, our life plans and kind of, you know, let one tag along and then two felt like a real family. Yeah. So I were young too. Yeah. I was, um, I was 19 when I had my first and my husband was 17 and so we were 21 and 23 when we had our second. Babies. I know. I know. It's just babies. I know. Oh. It's, it seems impossible now to look back on it, but I know. somehow it all worked out. It does. I feel like I was a baby. I was 25 when I had Caden. Um, so, but that's not a baby really, but it seems yeah. like it sometimes. Yeah, it does. Um, okay. So you're originally from Portland. Is that correct? Yes. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. And you just spent a month there. Yeah. We, uh, we try to go back every summer and we, I would say we go back at least once a year, but sometimes we get back a couple of times a year because we really like it. We really still love Portland a lot, even though Austin is our home now and we love Austin. Um, especially during the summertime, it's a really great time to go visit Portland because the weather is perfect there. And you know what our weather's like in the summer in Austin. It is far from perfect. Yes. So we had this summer decided to try out spending a longer stretch there to see if we could, you know, maybe start summering kind of in Portland. That so it sounds, sounds like, so fun. It like, <laughs> sounds so hoity-toity, but it, it wasn't like that at all. It's not, I mean, it was, you know, staying, crashing at my dad's house yeah. and Adam flying back and forth for work. And so it wasn't super glamorous, but it was a ton of fun. We loved it. Now, did you take your RV? We didn't. We actually just sold the RV. Can you, you believe that? We sold it. We never the, even got to use it. So sorry. The day before we left for our Portland trip, we sold it. So do you recommend buying an RV or? <laughs> <laughs> for you? This is a bad, no, not for us. I'm just like, I, we, Aaron and I have these, like, we actually looked into renting an RV this summer, but for us, it wasn't cost sufficient for where we were going. Like, if yeah. you're not going to stay in it the whole time, it didn't make sense financially. But did y'all love going on vacation in your RV? Yeah, we loved it. And we, you know, we ran numbers several times and decided that it wasn't that cost efficient for us either. But for the kind of traveling we wanted to do, which was, you know, sort of spending a little time here and there, it worked really well. And we really just wanted to have that experience with our kids Mm -hmm. of lots of time in small places and exploring, you know, things that were kind of off the beaten path together. And so I think we owned the RV for three and a half or four years. And we put like, 
I don't know, 20,000 miles on it in 13 different states. And I mean, we had a, a lot of fun in that RV, but our kids' bodies have like Whoa. tripled in size since we first got it and it was starting to get tight. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine. I see all these times people who live in an RV with children. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. We watched a whole documentary the other night on Netflix about tiny houses. Oh. And these people, the I only saw one family that had a child and it was like a baby. They live in like literally it could be the size of like our closet. Oh. I mean, we're talking like not I don't have the closet, but like, you know, 300 square feet. Something like crazy. And it's just this lifestyle that they love because it's simple and they don't have a lot of stuff and it's just what it is. So was what was their motivation in living that lifestyle? Was it was it to be simple? Was it to save money? Was Some it of to them see? to save money, but most of them just to be simple, to like cut down on their footprint, you know, in the world mm-hmm. and live a simpler life. And I mean, a part of it, I'm like, wow, that sounds really neat. But then the other, it was funny. We were looking at, we were watching the documentary and like, this is something weird about me. I love looking at floor pan, floor plans. Oh, okay. I, it's so weird. Like Didn't if you're like, you. Jamie, here's $10, go buy a really expensive magazine. I would get a, um, a magazine full of like floor plans. Interesting. It's so weird. It's really weird, but I just really want to build a house one day from scratch and all that kind of stuff. So as we're watching this documentary on tiny houses, <laughs> I'm online searching five bedroom house. Plans. <laughs> I'm like, this is just weird that I'm like really intrigued with the tiny house movement. But I need a bigger house. Like, it was just like, this is not, this is weird. I'm sure that none of the tiny house people had four children. So no, they didn't have, there's, there's, no, there's no way that would work. There's no way. It's, it's actually impossible. It's against the law to have four children <laughs> living in a house that size. So that is what that is. Um, okay. So Aaron always wants to take me to Portland. Mm, I He's, recommend it. You he says go. it's a lot like Austin. It is. Adam and I agree, and I, I think that's why moving to Austin has been easy for us and felt natural. The biggest difference is the weather, of course, right. because Portland is very rainy and overcast and kind of gloomy almost most of the year, but beautiful summers. So like July through um, September is just gorgeous. It's perfect. So when people live there, is it worth the gloominess to get to July through September? I think. I think to the people who choose to live there, most of the time it is. I, I mean, you know, it's. I think some people tend to like the hot weather, and yeah. some people tend to like sweaters and lattes and bundling up. And, uh. and so, the kind of people that live in Portland, I would say most of them can't imagine having to sweat as much as we have right. to sweat in Austin. Yeah, that is true. And in Austin, this is. I think Austin's even different than a lot of other cities in Texas. Like my girlfriend comes down here from Dallas, and it's the middle of summer. And we go out to eat and we sit outside. I mean, and we're just sweating, but we, everyone does it. And she's like, we don't do that in Dallas. And I'm like, I know you Dallas people don't do this, but in Austin, we're just (laughs) outside. And I do love that. A lot. Do you think it's because of, um, cause to me, it seems like Dallas culture is a little more about like makeup and hair. Do you think it's because they don't want to ruin that? Or what do you think the difference is? I think Dallas, this could be a stereotype. And if you're from Dallas, I hope we don't (laughs) offend you. I apologize. But, um, I mean, I think people in Austin here, they would probably say sometimes like that's so Dallas. And what they mean by that is just, it's like, like what you just said, like, we're not going to sit outside and sweat 
But uh-huh. in Austin, we're like, we don't care because Austin has the people would probably stereotype it as being very like hippie and yes, no makeup and who cares about your hair and girls don't shave their armpits and that kind of stuff, you know, which isn't entirely (laughs) true of everybody. But don't you think those are the stereotypes for the two cities? Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that about Austin. I appreciate that, you know, you don't have to dress to impress. You can kind of come as you are. Yes. And it's just, I I love Austin so much. Yeah. I do too. I think Austin is a great place to live and a great place to raise a family. But we don't want anyone else to move here. So if you're listening and you're thinking about moving, don't come to Austin. Forget we said that. Yes. There's actually a bumper sticker. Have you seen it? It's like, Austin sucks. Don't move here. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of funny because I heard the other day that about every day, 108 people move to Austin. Yeah. I was um, actually just reading an article. Maybe you've I've seen similar articles floating around about um, the housing crisis that's happening in Austin and how rent price, I mean, really the families um, who are renting their homes or apartments are suffering the most because rental prices are going up. And I forget the, the percentages now offhand, but it was just astronomical, the amount of people who are spending most of their paycheck on their rent. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. I, I just had no idea. Um, I guess the ripple effects of that. Right. It's, it's right. crazy. And the people that it affects the most, you know, are lower income people who are struggling, who might struggle more to get by every month. And then all of a sudden now we have a rent increase and all this right. kind of stuff. It's crazy. Right. And there just aren't other options. No. I mean, there's nothing else. You can go out further, but yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I know what book you're reading right now, but tell everyone what you're reading. I am reading a book that you actually recommended called Girls Like Us. I I believe the author's name is Rachel Lloyd. Yes. And I'm almost finished with it. I think I'm more than three quarters of the way through, and it's just such a great read. I've enjoyed it so much. I started it like maybe a day and a half ago. Yeah. If you, people that are listening to my podcast are going to be like, oh, for the love, I can't wait till she stops talking about this book because <laughs> I talked about it a lot with my last, with another guest, Deborah. Um, but I am here to say, I told Deborah that I had, um, invited Rachel to Skype in. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Are you coming to the book club? I tell me again when it is. I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, so I had invited her to Skype in just thinking uh-huh. there's absolutely no way. I mean, this isn't just like a, a, a friend who wrote her first book and she's like a nobody, like she's huge yeah. in this industry in New York city and everything. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. She is Skyping in to my little book club at my house. You're kidding. I'm not That's kidding. So I'm awesome. so excited. I really am so excited. Um, but I, I can't recommend that book enough. I think that everyone should read it. Yeah, it challenged a ton of stereotypes that I had in my head about what sex trafficking looks like in the United States. And prostitution. And and, prostitution. And yeah, uh, it's been a really good read. That's what I would say most about it. Like you just said it really adequately is that it challenged some like these preconceived notions that we have um, about the sex industry, about, you know, sex trafficking, about law enforcement with about everything involved in it. Yeah. She really challenged all of it. And she's in a, she's a great writer. I mean, it's not like a hard read at all. No, she's a great communicator. Great communicator. So good. Um, okay. I just finished a book. 
okay. called Enough by hmm. Kate Connor. And it's 10 things that we should be telling teenage girls. Really? Yeah. So apparently she, um, I think her husband's a student pastor. So they're in ministry and she has three kids and she wrote a blog that went crazy, a blog post that went crazy. I think in the book, she says she wrote it like two in the morning or something. And it just like went crazy. Um, and then now she has this book from it. So what, uh, what's her context? Like, is she a mom or a teacher? She's a mom and she works with students in her church. Okay. So I want to tell you the 10 things okay. that she says that we should tell teenage girls. And I'll preface this with saying, I read the books because I'm going to review it and give one away on my blog at the end of the month. But I read it thinking, I don't really have a teenage daughter yet. I mean, you and I both have, um, you know, six, seven year old girls and I don't really have a teenage daughter yet, but I'll read it anyways. I really appreciate a lot she had to say. And actually the chapter on like emotions I, I'm like, I need to read this for myself. Like it was, mm. it was really good about how women deal with their emotions. Okay. Mm. So here's the thing she said. Number one, if you choose to wear shirts that show off your breasts, you will attract boys. <laughs> Sounds like a given, but <laughs> it might not be. There you go. She was just saying, if you do it, you will. Uh, number two is don't go to the tanning bed. And these are in her blog, but in her book, she expands way d- on a deeper level on all of them. Um, uh-huh. Number three was when you talk about your friends anonymous, anonymously on Facebook, we not, we know exactly who you're talking about, <laughs> you know, just, she talked a lot in that chapter about just being a real friend, you know, yeah, and so yeah. that's good. I think that's great. Number four, she said, newsflash, the number of times you say, I hate drama is pretty much a good indicator of how much you love drama. Wow. Yeah. So that was good. Number five was, she said, follow your heart is probably the worst advice ever. Oh, agreed. And I appreciated that chapter a lot because I was like, I wish that someone would have talked to me about that because our hearts are so deceptive and it will never work out when you follow your heart. Ever. <laughs> um, yeah, somehow good. we need to balance the, uh, I, I want to encourage my kids to dream, but not necessarily follow their heart. Yeah. So we well, need to talked, phrase that better. You know, and she talked a lot in that chapter about, about what you just said, like about dreaming and about having goals and finding stuff that you're good at because your heart will deceive you and you'll feel like, Oh, I, I can't do that anymore. But when you have these goals and you're dreaming, it's like you strive more towards it, you mm. know, and it's a mindset versus a feeling. Hmm, well said. Like Number that. six, she said, never let a man make you feel weak or inferior because you are an emotional being. Hmm. And that was probably when she talked a lot about emotions and she talked about emotions are good. They're real. God gave us emotions and God made women more emotional than men, but we can't use that as an excuse mm-hmm. and we can't use it like to try to manipulate men because that doesn't do anything for women when we're using mm-hmm. our emotions to manipulate men. That was really good. The whole, the whole emotional chapter was good for me. Um, number seven is smoking is not cool. <laughs> number eight, stop saying things like, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Um, and you know what? This was good for teenage girls because she was like, you should care what people think about you. Because she said this. She's like, if all of your community, all of your classmates, everyone that is around you says that you're a snob, they're not all coming up with that. On, like, There's reason for them to say that. Yeah. If two people say it out of 50 people that know you, that may be an assumption. But she's like, yeah. if everybody that knows you says this about you, you need to look inside your life. Yeah. I was like, that was good. It's good for teenage girls to hear that. Yeah. Uh, number nine, don't play coy or stupid or helpless to get attention. 
And mm. number 10, you are beautiful. You are enough. So that's awesome. Yeah. 10 things we should tell our teenage girls. So, um, which, which of those do you think, which of those messages do you think that even women need to hear? Cause I think a lot of those are just not teen girl problems. They're kind of, you know, we have an epidemic of some of those things in just women in our culture. And I think those are really good messages for all of us to hear. Oh my gosh. I mean, I told you, I, I will keep this book and read this, the chapter on emotions again, because I am, I'm one that I, I struggle with like believing my emotions. And when I say that, I mean like, um, believing I'm not enough or believing I'm not good enough. And so, um, or I even like honestly struggle with using my emotions to try to get something out of Aaron. My yeah. husband. And yeah. th- that's not fair, you know, and that's, yeah. not a, that's not a safe ground for us to stand on. I think emotions one for women. Um, <laughs> maybe if you choose shirts to show off your breasts, you will attract boys. <laughs> <laughs> I also think the last one, just like you're beautiful and you're enough. You know, I think that's really hard for not just teenage girls, but women, we carry that on with us of just, we live in a society that measures us differently than how we should be measured. And so trying to figure out how to be enough in a society that is constantly telling us you're not enough. I I think that is a battle that women might have to endure until we see Jesus and everything's perfect. Just because unless you go live in a tiny house on a farm in Colorado, these, these images and these people are telling you stuff. It's all around us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, you know, I have four boys and one girl like you Mm -hmm. kind of an imbalance of the sexes. And, um, just recently in the last like six months or so, I, my daughter has, you know, like I've caught her gazing at herself in the mirror and saying, telling me things she didn't like about the way Mm. she looks. And I, I can't say what's true across the board for boys and girls, but I can tell you I have never seen one of my sons spend much time lamenting the fact that um, his hair wasn't a different color or, you know, something like that. And it just makes me kind of sad to think where those messages come at us as females from such a young age. And even I, I try to be careful about you know, sending positive messages to my daughter about the way that even I look at myself. And of course, the way that I talk about her, um, and even just not stressing outward appearance, you know, very heavily trying to really focus on other things and not even spending much time, um, on that, but still those messages are somehow received. It's kind of heartbreaking. It is. And it's really sad. Shori has said some other things too, like Matea has, and it's just, it also makes me like, like you said, it makes me pull back and be like, okay, Jamie, as her mom, as her number one influencer, I hope as a woman, yeah, you know, like, although I would say, I don't think I've ever said this in front of her. I don't think I've done this, but I, I think as moms of girls, we need to make sure our voices are louder. You yeah. Know? And you yeah. think it doesn't matter when they're three or four or five, but we're both saying we've both heard our daughter say something. And how old is Matea? She's six. So a story. You know, and so we've already heard this. So it does put a little bit more pressure on us and dads as well, you know, to, to, Mm -hmm. to be that, that voice of, um, in their life of that. And man, parenting is so hard. It is is not an easy job. It is not. And who is that? I was just telling a girlfriend the other day, she was talking to me about something that's going on in her family with her kids. And I was just like, 
man, there are so many days that I just ask God, are you sure that I was cut out to parent these four kids? Because this is so hard, you know, and I just have to step back and fall back on my realization that God in his sovereignty thought in his best plan that the four of them would work best with me and I would work best with them. Yeah. And I trust that he's right because a lot of times I'm like, I don't know what happened, but yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. And I just have to trust that. I know Adam and I were talking early, uh, last week. Well, we, Adam and I just had our 13th anniversary. And so we usually reflect some on life and the kids and mm-hmm. parenting and all the years. And, um, we were talking about parenting and just, we've, we've been in a season that has felt more challenging. You know how sometimes you just have seasons that feel like you have to put your head down and work harder. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've been in a season like that. And we were talking about how sometimes we just feel like we want to give up. Like it would be easier to just, um, kind of almost be a little bit more indifferent and a little bit more hands off and a little bit more of like, you know, looking at things from a bird's eye view and just say, well, you know, it's not that bad compared to what else is going on. And it'll all um, work out. It'll all work out. And I, I don't believe that that's the way that God has called us to parent. I believe that he has called us to parent intentionally and that he's given us discernment to see, to notice things so that we can really be intentional with them. But, um, like you said, sometimes it just feels like there is not enough strength in me to like, there's always something and there's never rest. Mm -hmm. And, um, anyway, we were just talking about, um, what it must be like to parent from a different perspective and what a luxury it it must feel like at times to just be able to hold those kids at kind of an arm's length view and go, you know, they're, they're really decent kids and I'm not going to worry too much about this. It'll work itself out, but I'm, I'm, I'm pressing ahead at least, (laughs) at least for today. But, um, it is, it is such intentional, uh, exhausting work sometimes. It is. It's not for the faint of heart. Nope. And it, and it is like, I always say parenting is the hardest job, um, because there's so much at stake. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. there are, there are souls at stake. There are, um, you know, a whole life ahead of these children at stake. There's relationships at stake. There is, you know, the rest of their years at stake. And so for me, sometimes I, like you said, it is, it, we, Aaron and I say the same thing. It'd be easier just to not care so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? To not yeah. care about things like when God get, does give us discernment about a character issue or something that is even on a larger scale, it would be easier just to, to, to not for it to not be that big of a deal. Yeah. I feel like a huge lesson that I haven't learned, but I'm maybe like in the middle of learning right now that maybe you can relate to is, um, with a couple of my kids in particular, one being my first because of uh, the situation that I talked about earlier that he was, I was a teen mom and we had all these odds stacked against us that I, I think really subconsciously or maybe even consciously want him to be a success story. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, similarly, one of our children is um, adopted. And, and so that kind of feels like I want that to be a success Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. And of course I want that for all my kids, but um, I, I think I feel it more sometimes with certain ones mm-hmm. because of who they are. Yeah. And I've, I don't think I've ever really acknowledged that to myself, but I've realized that, um, something that I think that, that God calls us to sometimes is, um, 
obedience without necessarily those rewards. Like I, I'm not, um, I'm, it's such a tough balance to pour into them and disciple them the way that, um, the way that God has called us to without necessarily having the mindset that input equals output, you know, that mm-hmm. I, um, that it's only worth it if, if the story ends the way that I want it to, right. and they turn into these model citizens that I want them to be, right. you know? Yeah. And I think on that same note where you said that is like, we have to, we have to completely take what our idea of success is and our idea of a model child and our idea of, well, if this happens, then we have done, we can pat ourselves on the back. We have done a good job of parenting and we kind of have to throw those out the window and step back and be like, God, we're going to be obedient and faithful to what you've asked us to do. And when we do that at the end, we will be success. Like that will be our measure of success yes. is our, is how much have we been obedient and faithful to what you've asked us to do? Because a lot of times I feel like I just want my kids to obey and become a certain type of kid so that from the outside looking in, we look like a great family. Right. And we look like everybody obeys and everybody makes good choices. Man, Aaron and Jamie must really know how to parent, but you know, but what I'm missing is like, I'm totally missing being faithful to their heart. Yeah. You yeah. And, and just loving them for who they are right. and not for who yeah. we want yeah. them to be. Yeah. And I think too, when you said that, it's interesting that you want that for your oldest to be a success story and for your child that you've adopted. I think too, that's such a like, um, like the world is, is like kind of like holding on waiting for you to show us the success. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) And that's not even like, that's, I, I feel like that as moms, we need to let go of that, that we're Mm -hmm. not accountable to showing the world that we can raise a child, even though we got pregnant when we were 19. You know what I mean? Like, we're accountable to God for that. And so that's where our success is. Not like for everyone to be like, man, Amber Rose, we didn't know if you were going to make it. <laughs> and you did, you know, so you've been successful. But yet, is it, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling, but that our success is not measured by the world. Yeah. That those external, those extra external um, pressures are not warranted that yeah, yeah, we need to kind of ignore. Yeah some of that, or at least not carry that burden around so much. And that's hard as moms. It is super hard. Oh, it's so hard. Uh, <laughs> see, this is why I love you, Amber Rose, because you're like this wealth of, you're this wealth of gold with parenting. You're oh just gosh. A few steps in front of me and on the same pace. And so I can just like watch what you're doing and watch what you're doing. I can watch what you're doing in front of me and I can watch what you're doing beside me. And then we just keep on moving. <laughs> you can watch all the mistakes I'm making. I'll tell you what not to do. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024.
Okay. I have one last question before we go. And I actually thought about this in the middle of the night and I hope I don't put you on the spot here, but one thing I've always noticed about you and Adam and kind of enjoyed, but kind of also want to sit back and see how it plays out Mm -hmm. is you've never said we're done with kids. Like you have five kids, you have a 14 year old and a four year old. But anytime I've ever asked you, it's always just been like, we don't know, like whatever, like, and, and for me, like I have four kids. And if you ask me, I'm like, no, like it is like, I don't have to think about it. Nothing like our, we, our clan is done. We are happy. We're fulfilled. But what about you and Adam? Um, I, see, you always do this. I know. It's like, I'm stalling. Um, we, especially when the kids were younger, felt like God gave us kind of a a bigger capacity for more kids. Uh Like a lot of the things that um, were stressors about having kids didn't seem to bother us as much. So we thought, you know, God's probably prepared our hearts and our lives for children. And um, so now on, you know, with 13 years and five kids under our belt, um, I think we still feel that way. Um, We also feel a little bit more grounded about the realities of, of kids, you know, like Mm -hmm. that they are a lot of work and they're kind of expensive and a lot of money, a lot of money, (laughs) a lot of time, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, so we're, we're balancing, you know, being realistic with that, being realistic about the finite amount of resources that God has given us, not just Mm -hmm. financial, but you know, energy wise, everything. Um, and just trying to be wise about that. We don't have any plans to add children to our family. If, if that did happen, it would, it would probably be through adoption, but we don't want to close the door to that either. You know, we're, because we started young, we're young parents. And I think we still could be in sort of childbearing years for the next 10 years, probably. And if God wanted to, if God made it clear to us that we were supposed to, add people to our family. I would, I would not want to have a hard heart against that. I should, I guess. I love that answer. I always love it because I'm the one with the hard heart. That's like, uh, no, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, if, I mean, God can break through that if he really, I think totally could cause he's God and I would be open to that, but Man, it would take a lot for him to break through to us. <laughs> take a big hammer. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, uh, I, I mean, I think that that, I feel like that assurance in some ways just could be from God too of, you yeah. know, that's, that's a way of closing that door. And who knows? I mean, we could be done or we could not be done. I have always... I think my personality is just a little bit less black and white. So I've always shied away from saying definitely yes or definitely no to anything. Mm. Well, I hate to bring this up because it might make you sad, but you really only have three more summers. I know with my oldest. Yes. I know it is so sad to think that we, and really some of those summers we might be like, looking at colleges or something yeah, or like he might have a job and I know. <laughs> take care of his own money. I know. Uh, I'm really trying to cherish yes. this time with him and, and be thoughtful about the way that we spend it and the way we structure our lives yeah. next few years. Oh, so fun. So yeah. fun. Okay. Well, Emma Rose, thanks for joining me on the happy hour. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. And no kids interrupted us. 
It's a, a minor miracle because we have nine. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is so true. Uh, okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, I told you that you would love Amber Rose. Does she not just sound like the most wonderful mom ever? So I love everything she's doing with her kids. I love her parenting. I love her friendship. I hope that you enjoyed our conversation today. I hope that it inspires you to maybe have that conversation with your kids for the first time about sex. It's awkward and it's difficult and it's weird. But the sooner you start, the better. And so I guess that's my encouragement for you today. Talk to your kids about sex. Some of us adults are still waiting for our parents to talk to us. So don't let your kids say that when they're older. Talk to them. Give them information. Someone's going to give them the information. It can either be their lousy friends at school or you. So that's when parenting's awkward, but we can do it. 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 Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the happy hour. We've got awesome guests coming up that you're going to really enjoy. And so thank you. Tell your friends about the happy hour. I'd love to have more people know about the happy hour. It's so fun. This is my most favorite thing I'm doing in life right now. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part. I love your comments. I got a text the other day from a girlfriend who's like, I was mowing the lawn and I just started crying listening to Deborah talk about bringing her son home from Haiti. And so that was awesome because I love Deborah's story. I love the way they fought for their son. And I love that my friend got to hear it. So that's what the happy hour is about. It's about connecting women. It's about sharing stories. It's about encouraging. And so thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for listening. I really, really appreciate it. I hope today is awesome. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.